70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Hai, jumpa kembali bersama saya Eko Endriwiono dari Nganjuk, Jawa Timur. Di tengah modernisasi Hi, it's a pleasure to say hi to you all. My name is Eko Endri Wiono, and I'm from Eastern Java, Indonesia. Thanks to KBS World Radio, I feel like I can keep up with the fast-changing modern world. KBS World Radio's easily accessible platforms are a blessing to many listeners, including a long-time listener like myself, who enjoys shortwave radio at night. KBS World Radio is very special. Everyone knows about K-pop these days, not just the young people, but the older generations as well. KBS World Radio is the quintessential K-pop channel that brings the whole package. Congratulations on your 70th birthday, and I will look forward to the channel's continued success in the future. semangat. 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. It's Thursday, the 19th of October, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Won Jang-wo. The Bank of Korea held its key interest rate steady for the sixth consecutive time at 3.5%. Officials noted slowdown in growth and heightened global uncertainties for the decision. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. President Yoon Sang-yeol's approval rating has reached a five-month low of 34%, while the main opposition Democratic Party is flying high at over 50% approval rating for the first time in more than three years. We'll take a closer look for our in-depth. And coming up for Explore Korea, we discover another fascinating artist called An Jeong and his first solo exhibition in Korea. Let's begin Korea 24. The Bank of Korea on Thursday kept its key interest rate steady at 3.5%, marking the sixth time in a row that the central bank opted for a freeze. Our KBS World Radio News Editor Koo Hee-jin joins us in the studio now to outline the central bank's concerns over external factors, as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, Jang. So the BOK's Monetary Board cited a slowdown in growth and heightened uncertainties, including the prolonged war in Ukraine. Can you give us more details? Yes, the Bank of Korea on Thursday held its key interest rate steady for the sixth time at 3.5%. The central bank began its rate freeze in February after delivering seven straight rate hikes from April 2020. Uh, 2022 to January 2023. The uh, Bank of Korea cited a slowdown in the country's economic growth and heightened uncertainties, including the prolonged war in Ukraine and rising household debts for its decision, uh, with Governor Lee Chang-yong saying the decision was unanimous, but five out of six uh, board members remain open to a future hike. This comes as the central bank noted that although inflation is projected to continue its downward 
downward trend. Uncertainties over consumer prices and growth rate have risen significantly amid tight uh, monetary policies in major economies, as well as heightened geopolitical risks such as the armed conflict in the Middle East. The BOK Governor Yi Chang-yong also touched on the necessity of monitoring household debt growth, with Thursday's rate freeze coming amid rising household debt in Korea as home prices rise in Seoul and other regions on the back of eased loan curbs. Indeed, uh, during a briefing held after that board meeting, Yi said that the nation will not likely see rates fall to the 1% uh, 1% level at any time soon and warned speculative investors against attempting to purchase houses by taking exorbitant loans. However, economists continue to worry about the widening gap in the interest rates between the BOK and the US Federal Reserve, currently standing at 1.75 to 2 percentage points, while the Fed froze its benchmark lending rate at 5.25 to 5.5% range. Uh, Expectations are that there will be at least one more hike before the end of the year. Let's turn now to the continuing conflict in the Middle East. The United Nations Security Council failed to adopt a resolution allowing uh, humanitarian access to the war-torn Gaza after a veto by permanent member the United States. Can you tell us more? Well, Brazil, uh, the Brazil-drafted resolution submitted to the Council's official session on Wednesday condemned the attack on Israel by the Palestinian militant group Hamas and all acts of violence against civilians while calling for humanitarian access to Gaza for relief deliveries. While 12 out of 15 Council members voted in favour... The resolution fell through after it was vetoed by the U.S., which cited an absence of reference to Israel's right to self-defence, while permanent members Russia and Britain abstained. Passage of a resolution requires a support from at least nine members, with none of the five uh, permanent members exercising their veto power, a rule that resulted in the failure of two revised drafts put forth by Russia due to a U.S. veto and a lack of a quorum. Meanwhile, President Yoon Suk-yeol is set to make a trip to the Middle East. He will make a five-day trip to Saudi Arabia and Qatar from Saturday to Wednesday. Can you give us the details of his itinerary? Well, according to Principal Deputy National Security Advisor Kim tae on Thursday, Yoon will make a state visit to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, from Saturday to Tuesday and to Doha, Qatar, from uh, a Tuesday to Wednesday. In Saudi Arabia, the South Korean uh, president will hold a summit with the Saudi Crown Prince and Prime Minister Mohammed bin Salman Al Saud. In Qatar... Um, in Qatar, he will hold talks with Qatari Emir Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani. Kim said that considering the conflict between Israel and Hamas is directly connected to the peace in the Middle East and the regional order, Yun is expected to discuss the security situation in the two summits. Moving on to other headlines now, the presidential office reaffirmed that it will forge ahead with plans to expand the number of medical school students starting from 2025, while stating that the scale 
has not yet been set. Can you tell us more? Well, according to a high-ranking official at the top office on Thursday, there are no specific numbers to be released so far, but the government has expressed its commitment to increasing the quota, as mentioned by the health minister earlier this week. The official stressed, however, that it is necessary to first examine the extent of the current doctor shortage and determine how to increase the number of doctors in order to overcome the gap in essential medical services nationwide. The official added that in order for the change to be implemented by 2025, the quota must be finalised by the first half of 2024. And as a follow-up, the Health Ministry on Thursday unveiled plans to boost essential medical services of national uh, university hospitals in rural rural areas uh, to levels of the nation's top five hospitals located in Seoul. Now, under the plan, the government agency charged with national university hospitals would be switched from the Education Ministry to the Health Ministry in a bid to pursue balanced progress in the areas of treatment, research and education. Let's turn now to Russia-North Korea relations. Uh, Russia's Foreign Minister Sergei uh, Lavrov said that Moscow supports the establishment of regular negotiations with Pyongyang and Beijing to discuss security issues on the Korean Peninsula. Can you elaborate? Well, according to the Russian state-run Ria Novosti, uh, Lavrov held a press conference on Thursday after talks with North Korean Foreign Minister Chesoni during his visit to the reclusive state, denouncing increased military activity by South Korea, the US and Japan on the peninsula. He added that Russia, along with North Korea and China, are pursuing a path towards easing tensions and subduing a further escalation of tensions, as opposed to the unconstructive and dangerous path path uh, pursued by Seoul, Washington and Tokyo. Lavrov noted that Moscow, uh, Pyongyang and Beijing support the establishment of regular peace talks to discuss security issues on the peninsula without preconditions. He also hinted at the possibility of providing assistance uh, regarding energy, which North Korea is currently severely lacking. And we have breaking news that the Russian foreign ministry, uh, from the Russian foreign ministry that Lavrov met separately with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un for more than an hour, it did not elaborate on what the two discussed. Meanwhile, South Korea's foreign ministry responded by saying that North Korea will never be recognised as a nuclear state by the international community and added that it will keep a close eye on related developments. And finally, the Interior Ministry here in South Korea will conduct an advanced check of areas that are expected to see large crowds around Halloween in a bid to prevent accidents like last year's crowd surge tragedy in Itaewon, which led to 159 deaths. Can you tell us more? Well, the ministries held a meeting on Thursday on preparations for the weekend chaired by Ian Yang, the head of the ministry's disaster management office, and attended by officials from 26 related agencies, including the nation's 17 provinces and state uh, cities, as well as the health ministry, the National Police Agency and the National Fire Agency. The ministry plans to operate a joint situation management team with uh, related agencies in four regions, where large crowds are likely to uh, gather between next Friday and November 1st. Uh, Itaewon and streets around Hongik University and Myeongdong in Seoul, as well as Dongzongno Street in Daegu. The ministry will focus checks on narrow and steep alleys and dispatch security officials or implement one-way traffic regulations if deemed necessary. 
That's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for bringing us those updates. Thank you. President Yoon Sang-yeol is struggling in the polls once again. A recent survey conducted by Realmeter found that the president's approval rating was at 34%, the lowest since May. This came in the wake of the ruling People Power Party's crushing defeat in the Gangsa district by-election. The PPP's approval rating is also down by 32%. This is in fact the lowest rating for Realmeter survey since the Yoon administration took office last May. Meanwhile, the main opposition Democratic Party's approval rating is above 50% for the first time in three years and six months. To discuss these contrasting fortunes, we have our political commentators joining us on the line now. First, we have Law Professor Cho Hee-kyung from Hongi University. Professor Cho, hello. Hello. And we have affiliate Professor Kim Byung-ju from the Hangul University of Foreign Studies with us as well. Professor Kim, hello to you too. Hi. Let's start with the president's approval ratings. The results released on Monday showed that his rating had dropped to 34%, down 3.7 percentage points from the previous week. It was the lowest since May. The poll was conducted on 2004 adults from October 10th to the 13th. It had a margin of error of a plus or minus 2.2 percentage points with a confidence level of 95%. Professor Chaw, what did you make of this poll? Well... Many commentators are actually predicting that the president's approval rating will drop even further uh, down to uh, the 20s. So uh, we'll see how long he actually the approval rating remains in the 30s. But I I sort we of should see also it going... stress that uh, mm-hmm. the poll was taken between uh, 10th to. Uh, the 13th. So actually, uh, half of that was before uh, the results of the Kangsa by-election uh, result came out as well. Right. And uh, the response from the presidential office, that sort of, you know, seemed to declaim all responsibility, uh, even though the candidate was almost handpicked by the president to to run in the this election it was certainly not the party's choice uh, i think actually sort of uh, tended to put more people off um, so i suspect that the the poll rating might have been lower had it been uh, had, had it had the poll been taken somewhat later but i i see i sort of um see that you know given the the latest sort of um move, movements from the presidential office including the 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 um indication that they're actually going to try to increase the intake for medical schools by some anything from 1000 to 3000 students a year and also this new emphasis on uh communication etc if President Yoon manages to actually pull those, uh, pull that reform of uh, medical profession off, and also really makes an improvement on the um, the, the communication by the presidential office and him, as well as his his relationship with the party. Mm. Then 
it may improve, but um, I don't have great expectations because even now it seems like he's essentially putting the blame on the party rather than accepting responsibility and still has this mode of telling others what to do rather than looking uh, at his own conduct and what he, what he can do to improve. Professor Kim, same question to you. What did you make of the results of the latest poll? Why do you think his numbers have fallen? Rather than directly uh, connect, uh, commenting on those uh, poll numbers that have fallen, uh, I'd like to just uh, mention, first of all, there's old saying in Korean politics that best way to win your next election is to lose this last election. Uh, what that means is that there is tendency in Korean public to balance out uh, political landscape and uh, uh, looking at this uh, hindsight, the, the latest Gangseo district, uh, district election, uh, I think losing it may be beneficial for the ruling party and President Yoon's party here because there may, may be a chance, as people see these numbers we are talking about today, there's a chance that his supporters may be mobilized and actually they come closer to, to increase support behind him in April election. We still have times to go for, for, uh, you know, further here before the election. We still have a long time left on our co uh, Korean political calendar here. And... Uh, President Yoon, uh, for the past few days, has indicated he's changing his stance. Mm. Uh, he said, uh, if I quote, unconditionally, people are always right. And what that means is that, uh, you know, whatever direction he was pursuing before the election, now he realizes that as the representative, single representative of Korean people, he has to pe follow what people uh, expect and want from him. So I guess, you know, the, 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 the defeat at the council district was might have been a wake-up call for him. And now he has indicated he's going to possibly change his direction. So I think, you know, in looking at the, what's going to happen uh, in April general election, this could be something positive. If they had won the election, you know, human tendency for going for hubris could have strengthened uh, Yun's line that he has maintained, appealing to his core voters more, uh, more uh, you know, more conservative voters, and so on. His line might have been maintained. In that case, that might have that may uh, result in defeat in the really important general election in April. But now, you know, he's looking back, he's reviewing it, and mm. he's has shown his willingness to change his course. So I think. It's all beneficial in the long run, possibly. That might be a possibility I'm looking at here. Yes, President Yun's comments that the people are unconditionally right, that came uh, on Wednesday evening when he met with leaders of the PPP. He also talked about policies affecting people's livelihoods, uh, saying that he and his cabinet will uh, gravely reflect and review whether those policies are being implemented adequately. Uh, gravely reflect, that's a translation of the Korean phrase, pansong. Uh, Professor Cho, uh, the media has been talking a lot about that phrase as well, how this is the first time that he has used that phrase uh, to gravely mm -hmm. reflect. What do you make uh, of 
perhaps his change in stance and what more would you like to see from the president? So the word banzang is more um, akin to repenting rather than just gravely reflecting. And I really sincerely hope that he actually means what he says and he will walk the walk and not just talk the talk because we've had, I mean, he's got past history of paying lip service, but not, not really practicing uh, what he promised. You know, he's, we, we all remember his uh, campaign uh, promises of justice, fairness, and common sense. And we have seen very little of any of those qualities from his administration. Um, obviously, he's not a, a dumb person, and he knows that he needs to make changes or at least be seen to be trying to, um, you know, make changes. But I really am quite skeptical that he would be able to uh, follow through with uh, the, the changes that he really needs to make because we have already seen his you know, lack of communication, his lack of vision for the country, his lack of even sort of interest or attention to what's really important to the ordinary people. He continues to nominate unqualified people to important government posts despite uh, so many people advising him against it. And even in the most recent meeting with his cabinet and the party leaders and his advisors, I understand that it was still the, what, what's it called? 59-minute yun, meaning that given an hour, he's the person who's talking 59 minutes um, <laughs> out of that one hour. Mm. So... Um, I am going to right. reserve my judgment until we see some action. Right. Uh, Professor Kim, you said the by-election loss uh, could be a turning point to improve the situation. What do you think he needs to do to win back uh, public support uh, and thus help his party, the PPP, uh, towards the next uh, general election uh, in April? Before the, this latest election, when he was going uh, gung-ho about ideological uh, divisions and, you know, the importance of the ideology and taking all these actions and then raising uh, issues about history, uh, all these actions to appeal to kind of like ultra uh, conservative voters. What I was thinking that was that eventually he'll turn around. Uh, That is after solidifying his core, you know, hardcore uh, right wing voters first, he will turn around no matter what happens, he'll turn around. And he will target the, the middle section voters of the political distribution, the U-curve. And uh, that was my hope. And now with this defeat at the council district, which he had hoped to win, uh, I think he will just accelerate this move that I had anticipated. Uh, you know, the way I see it, the game plan should be you solidify your core supporters first and then, uh, you know, keep them in place. And then you uh, change your target to the center. Uh, that's a it's a sequence that's normally expected, and I think what happened in council district this time, and then this falling numbers that we have now will just accelerate uh, such such move. And so, uh, and I, I don't see much surprise here, and I just see things happening the way I had initially thought. Uh, let's look at the parties uh, individually as well, because uh, there were approval ratings 
That came out in a separate survey. The approval ratings for the ruling party uh, reflected a similarly uh, grave situation for the party. In a separate Real Meter poll released on Monday, the PPP's approval rating was 32%, down 4.3 percentage points on week, and it was the lowest rating since the beginning of the unit administration. Meanwhile, the DP broke the 50% mark for the first time in three and a half years. The DP's rating came in at 50.7%, up 2.9 percentage points on week. The survey was conducted on 1,003 adults from October 12th to the 13th and had a margin of error of plus or minus 3.1 percentage points with a 95% confidence level. Professor Chaw, we only have time for one question each. Uh, What do you make of this poll? Uh, What stands out to you? What stands out to me is uh, another number that you haven't actually quoted, but um, the Democratic Party has now reached more than 50% in, in approval rating. But the leader of the Democratic Party, I understand, uh, rates at maybe half that number uh, from what I have read and heard. And so uh, the question is, will they be able to continue under this leadership and is this 50% down to the performance by the Democratic Party or is it because there is no real viable alternative? When we discussed the result of Gangsa election, we didn't really sort of pay much attention to the, the showing of other smaller parties. But um, even the Justice Party, who used to you know, win maybe 5 or 6% of the, the votes in other elections in previous years, is now seen as a very pale shadow of the Democratic Party and people have really moved away from it. And I think a lot of people feel that they are unhappy with the ruling party and they're not really that happy with the Democratic Party, but they see that there is no real viable alternative uh, to show their disapproval of the ruling party. And so their disapproval of the, the PPP is greater than DP. And so they are simply essentially basking in reflected glory rather than uh, enjoying the fruits of their own labour. That's my view. And Professor Kim, uh, what do you make of the approval ratings for the uh, two parties? I don't recall anything that the Democratic Party has done right to win the support. And uh, uh, I don't really recall uh, PPP has done uh, gravely wrong to lose their support. What I'm seeing here is that possibly the numbers that we see uh, evaluating the party, uh, people's support for the party may reflect from reflect how people have felt about Yoon's strategy to appeal to his core voters, talking about ideology and history and so on. And uh, it could be showing a lingering effect on that. So uh, what I'm saying is looking forward, uh, you know, April election, as I said, is long way from here. Uh, you know, in politics, different things can happen so dramatically overnight. And so uh, you want to be actually underdog approaching uh, election. It's much harder to keep your lead than to catch up with the leader. So uh, rather than, um, you know, assigning too much uh, meaning to the numbers of uh, party support at this time, I will be watching out to upcoming trend where it's more where it's more likely to see uh, PPP catching up with the DP and uh, compete neck and neck for general election in April.
may I add just one comment? Uh, so in my view, PPP's main sin is that it's, it has misplaced its backbone. It has, you know, it cannot stand up to the president. It should be on the same level as the president and, you know, really advising him in uh, some wisdom he, that he really desperately needs. But nobody in PPP is brave enough to do this. And that's what I see as their main fault. Professor Kim, would you like to respond to that comment as well? Uh, the situation at the moment for the PPP, of course, uh, key officials have resigned, uh, including the Secretary General Lee Chol-gyu, but the party chair, Kim Gi-hyun, has uh, decided not... Uh, they've decided not to oust the party chair, uh, so he remains. Professor, what do you make of this move and how the PPP is dealing with uh, the president's low approval ratings? I do not disagree with that observation. And Kim Ki-hyun, the current party leader, is Yoon's man. And so whatever the mistake that has been made by the presidential office, Kim Ki-hyun, the party leader, shares the responsibility as well. So, uh, you know, if he had been set aside, I think it could, the, the recovery process for PPP might have been quicker. But uh, this is uh, this is seen as a liability for sure. But what I'm saying is general trend, we will see uh, different kind of uh, you know, like a change of uh, public opinion going forward in the longer term in uh, months to come. We'll have to wrap it up there for uh, this segment today. Professor Kim, Professor Cho, as always, thank you for your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index shed 46.80 points, or 1.9%, on Thursday to close the day at 2,415.80. The tech-heavy KOSDAQ also fell, losing 24.85 points, or 3.07%, to close at 784.04. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 7.81 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,357.41. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to our daily segment now, Korea Trending, where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that, we have our news editor, Daniel Che, joining us in the studio. Daniel, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Tango. Good to see you again. Let's get into our first story. What do you have for us first? A Catholic church that was built during the Korean War in Sokcho City, Gangwon Province, is set to earn national cultural heritage recognition, and the Cultural Heritage Administration announced on Thursday plans to have Our Lady of Fatima Church in the city's Dongmyeong neighborhood registered as a national cultural heritage. The building was made using stone from a quarry and drum cans from a U.S. military transportation unit nearby. Yes, this is actually quite a small and unassuming a white church in Sokchul, but it has a very rich and interesting history. So it's uh, no surprise that this church was up for such a recognition. Uh, now that the CHA has started this process, what comes next? So for about 30 days, the CHA will gather opinions and feedback from figures of various related fields and carry out an internal review before reaching a final decision. An official from the administration said the building is deserving of earning the cultural heritage status as it's an important part of the history of Catholicism in Korea over the years dating back to the Korean War and the armistice signing. Mm. 
Yes, so this move will be championed by many because I understand that there were many times in recent years that its future was in jeopardy because of surrounding urban developments. Right. As you mentioned, it's a tiny little uh, structure compared to uh, normal buildings you see uh, these days. And there are concerns about high-rise buildings being erected nearby, completely dwarfing or Mm. shadowing it or hiding it completely. Mm. So the towering structures would have threatened the beauty and heritage of the historically significant Tongmyeong neighborhood landmark. Uh, Earning the national cultural heritage recognition will provide greater protection against such development efforts as it will send a clear signal that one of the oldest stone buildings in Sokcho with such historical and cultural significance must be preserved. Yes, it would certainly send a very strong message and hopefully help preserve this uh, little piece of history. Uh, Let's move on to our second story now. What do you have for us? Well, everything is getting more expensive these days. For office workers, it's always a challenge to find a good, cheap lunch. Mm. And that's why low-priced Korean lunch buffets are all the rage these days. Uh, Yeah, again, I would like you to explain to our listeners what exactly these (laughs) Korean lunch buffets are about. It's not as fancy as it sounds. Exactly. We should explain that these are very (laughs) humble uh, buffets. We're not talking hotel-style buffets, but more like... uh, Rice, although unlimited rice, and lots of simple side dishes, a lot of them anyway, uh, the focus being simple and cheap. Right. No lobsters, no steaks there. A cheap, <laughs> Indeed. And, yeah, cheap and plenty seems to be the keywords. And Big Data and Lettuces Service, some trend, looked into the trending keywords from September 18th to the 17th of this month, and they announced the results on Wednesday. Korean food buffet spiked 6.58% on year. 82% of related search words were positive, including words like cheap, more bang for your buck and packed with customers. On social media, hashtag Korean food buffet was used on some 121,000 uploads on Wednesday alone. Looking like one of the hottest trends among office workers is finding such restaurants that are the most affordable and high quality nearby. Right, so people are attracted to the price and quality, but its popularity is also coupled, of course, with the uh, the wider economic situation in Korea, right? Yes, according to figures released by Statistics Korea on October 5th, the average cost of eating out rose 4.9% on year. Most other lunch options easily exceed 10,001 or more than $7 due to inflation. And there are establishments that try not to irk customers with price surges by alternative means like controlling serving portions. Mm. Uh, most of those budget Korean buffet restaurants charge around 8,001 or roughly 6 US dollars, and this is even after minor price hikes due to inflation. When you get when you can get second and third helpings for that price, I think uh, it's no mystery that you win over loyal customers. Yes, I think especially good value for money for people who do regularly eat bigger portions, uh, unlike myself, I eat quite light. So uh, places with small portions are not an issue for me. But if you are someone who uh, consumes a lot more, I imagine it can be frustrating when you pay 10,001 for a meal, but it doesn't fill you up. Uh, that can be uh, annoying, to say the least. So I understand uh, the popularity of these establishments, especially as uh, the soaring cost of living continues to strain people's finances. OK, let's continue on to our last story. What else do you have for us today? Royal Taekwondo and the Taekwondo Humanitarian Foundation won the Combat Sport Initiative of the Year Award at the 2023 Peace and Sport Award Ceremony held on Wednesday, local time in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, Created in 2008, the annual Peace and Sport Awards recognized organizations and individuals that made outstanding contributions to peace, dialogue, and social stability in the world through sport. Yes, this sounds very much well-deserved. The WT has long been focused on providing support to underprivileged communities around the world while uh, promoting the 
Korean martial art. Yes, WT, formerly known as WTF, the World Taekwondo Federation, name changed due to, I suppose, some people felt there were some negative connotations. Mm. And it's uh, mis- mistaken. Unfortunate acronym. Unfortunate, yes. So uh, they have earned the honors mainly for their Hope and Dream Sports Festival. The festival, co-organized with the World Baseball and Softball Confederation, was held for the first time this February in the Asrak refugee camp in Jordan's capital, Amman. It gave around 300 young refugees and displaced persons the opportunity to learn, train, and compete in taekwondo and baseball competitions for free. The Hope and Dream Sports Festival is held with a goal of getting many other Olympic and non-Olympic sports to join hands in giving refugees and displaced persons such opportunities. It is very much in tune with the Olympic Agenda 2020 Plus 5, which calls for changes to make Olympic Games fit for the future, safeguard Olympic values, and strengthen the role of sports in our society. Yes, this isn't the first time the WT has garnered uh, global recognition through effort to contribute to society. Yes, back in 2016, WT was honored with Federation of the Year at the Peace and Sports Awards for valuable contribution to the development of social integration and peace through sport. Uh, Dr. Cho jong won president of World Taekwondo, or WT, and the chair of the THF, expressed great pride and gratitude for winning the award, and emphasized that his organizations will continue to dedicate efforts to support refugees and displaced persons around the world. He also expressed hopes of greater collaborations with other organizations globally in such efforts. Yes, Taekwondo is one of Korea's first and most popular cultural exports, and it's great to see how it has continued to try and give back to the global community as well. That's all the time we have for today's Korea Trending. Daniel, thank you for those stories, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. Next up, it's Explore Korea, a weekly segment where we find out about some cultural, historical and travel highlights for us to discover. And this week, our special contributor or explorer who's here with us now, it is, it is our arts explorer, Anjeu. He's joined us now in the studio. Joe, hello. It's great to see you again. Thank you so much. And it's great to see you too, Jang. OK, so what are we talking about this week? All right, so today we're going to talk about the life and craft of an artist whose story will, I confidently believe, profoundly resonate with a great deal of our listenership mm. regarding the nature of our show. Now, chang you and I both know too well that quite a few of our listeners are members of the global Korean diaspora, right? Right. Well, today we're going to talk about an artist who also has that very membership and with his breathtaking craft can provide other members of the club And in fact, any person, Korean or not, who has a significant multicultural background with a breathtaking inspiration. He also recently opened his very first in Korea solo exhibition at a red hot everyone's eyes on me kind of a new gallery here (laughs) in Seoul. I'm dead serious about that. Uh, Hence giving me all the reason in the world to go with him as the protagonist of this week's Explore Korea Today's artist is the remarkable An Che 
Hong. And yes, I know that my name is Anjewu and he's Anjewu Hong. No, we are not related. We're not siblings. <laughs> right, okay. There's not, you know, nothing that kind of, a, oh, he's taking care of his brother kind of a thing going on here. We don't do that here at KBS. Okay, so just put that <laughs> disclaimer out there for yes. us all to know. Okay, so Anjewu Hong, can you tell us more about him then, about his uh, bio, first of all? Absolutely. So he was born in 1979 in the beautiful city of Busan here in Korea. Uh, he currently works and lives in yet another wonderful city, Berlin. Yes, the mecca of contemporary art. He lived in Korea until the age of 15, and I will elaborate later on why that age is rather important. Mm-hmm. Then his entire family moved to Canada, so he went to a Canadian high school and college. The latter happens to be one of Canada's most prestigious art schools, the Ontario College of Art and Design University, commonly known as OCAD University, or simply OCAD. Mm. Now, however, as I every now and then say, going to a top art school is one thing, becoming a top artist is another. And well, if KBS is talking about you, that means you are both. <laughs> All right. So at OCAD, he was a two-time winner of the of the Elizabeth Greenshields Grant for International Artists. He was honored with this grant one more time a few years after graduation as well. Mm. And for your information, so he's a three-time winner of this grant, right? Wow. The only reason why he's not a four-time winner is because you can only win it three times throughout <laughs> your entire life, okay? okay? But he's just that much good. And as for his post-OCAD life, for the past two decades, he's been exhibiting his works all around the world through a healthy number of solo shows and group shows. Considering the combination of his rather universally interesting subject matter and extraordinary brushwork, yes, he's a painter. I am not surprised at all. Right, okay. So tell us more about his actual works then. You said he's a a painter. Yes. And what do you mean about his uh, universally interesting subject matter? Okay, so uh, he actually reminds me of my actual real brother, and I have an elder brother who's two years older than older than I. And, right, so you, know, you do have a brother. Yes, yes, okay. that's right. But he's <laughs> yeah, different person, right? And by the way, Anjo was two years younger than me. But anyways, so uh, yeah, when my brother and I, when we were little kids, I so 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 vividly remember how like one day, so my our parents every now and then would buy us Legos as presents, right? Right. Okay. And what he would do is, no, I'm just like a regular kid. I see what what's on the box. The image, right? Oh, it's a castle, so we got to make a castle. It's a car, we got to make a car, so on and so forth. So one day, I come back home from school, and it turns out to me, my brother came a a few, uh, I think like 30 minutes to an hour earlier, and what happened was, the once castle, and I think it was a car or spaceship or, or or something like that, they were all deconstructed and reconstructed into this time machine kind of looking really funky, cool thing. Wow, okay. Right? And what I'm trying to say here is that he just had that, you know, uh, innate gift of understanding, all right, I'm going to deconstruct this, I'm this and that, I'm not going to follow the rules, and I'm going to set my own rules and just let my creativity have a go at it and see what happens. So I was immensely, immensely inspired by this gift and talent my brother mm. had, right? And the reason why I'm mentioning that little anecdote is because when I went to the gallery and saw Anje Hong's work, I was so much reminded of that very personal experience right. of mine because he is just an absolute genius of deconstruction and reconstruction. For example, you take a look at one of his paintings, 
you're just mesmerized at the technique first because he's just so ridiculously talented using this mm-hmm. brush. But then you're trying to make sense of what's actually going on here, right? Like, for example, there's a painting where there seemed to be some kind of a character just popped out who just popped out from Greek mythology and then transformed into a completely new original being. And then right next to that being, there's like a pair of shoes of a little child. And then you see a few sea creatures swimming around and you're like, what on earth is going on here, right? (laughs) But because this is art, it's not mathematics, it's not physics. Mm. It just makes artistic uh, aesthetic sense, Mm. right? And another really interesting that I've realized uh, regarding this kind of juxtaposition and reconstruction is how he really combines the divine and mundane so well, right? Mythology, divine. Mm pair of shoes, mundane. Mm. You put them together, and for whatever reason, it makes sense. And it kind of reminds you that, oh, after all, the wise people back in the day who wrote mythology in the first place, right, came up with all their ideas from the mundane, mm, right? Okay. So that kind of organic relationship and reasoning and how we achieve greatness or great stories and great art through the this, this, this seemingly so simple and not too important things, right? And what about the combination of past and present? After all, mythology, that's often the past. However, even to this day, we're still reading it, we are still researching it, we're mm. still enjoying it, just like a brand new pair of shoes, right? <laughs> so okay. you put all this together... And then I think about a situation. Earlier I said I'm going to get back to the point that he moved to Canada, his whole family moved to Canada when he was at the age of 15, right? Right. Now, in my case, I, my family, when we moved to the U.S. because my father had to do his doctorate program, I was only four years old. Hmm. It was way easier for me to go through that new adaptation into a new culture. Right, and, and to pick up the language and that kind of thing. Into right? life there, yeah. Yes, but when you do that at the age of 15, it's a completely different story. Right? Sure. And I think when you have that kind of an experience, and therefore you have that clash of civilizations, and therefore you develop that clash of different set of values and different ways of seeing the world, and even a different set of language hmm. at that age... I guess for this particular artist, and this is just how I view uh, his craft and his subject matter, is that it inspires him to understand that even though you have these really two different sets of ideas and cultures inside your own body, somehow you can figure out a way how to find harmony. And based on that, create rather really, really original styles of art in a dialectical fashion. So use that clash of cultures that you personally experience yourself and express it into something perhaps no one else has seen. That's right. I mean, because I'm pretty sure that there are people just like that in your own life as well, Channel, right? Mm. And whenever we talk to these people, they they tell, you know, they share their stories about their struggles and, and and so on and so forth. And I think when you go through that kind of a process... And then you go to this kind of an art show, you get that, you know, kind, kind of an artistic healing experience, if you will, and the okay. inspiration as well. So I think in that sense, it's so, so, so powerful and wonderful. It all sounds fascinating. You said at the start that uh, art lovers in Korea can now see his works here in Seoul in his mm-hmm. very 
first solo ex- exhibition in Korea then, right? That's right. So let's talk about that right now. The title of this show is Sang Fra, and uh, the venue is a wonderful, I said, like Red Hot, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, <laughs> all eyes on me kind of kind of venue, right? The gallery's name is super cool. It's WWNN. It's mm. an acronym, which stands for What We Need Now. Mm. So how nice is that? Um, it's in the lovely neighborhood of Samcheongdong. Well, technically it's Parpandong, but, you know, if everybody in the art world, we just call Parpandong, Samcheongdong as well. Mm. Or it's included in the greater Samcheongdong, if you will. Sure. Um, the two neighborhoods are adjacent, and a lot of art galleries are in these two neighborhoods. Um, this gallery opened last summer, and they have been making some serious, serious noise. Um, they are run by two wonderful, wonderful, uh, a combination, actually, of one curator and an artist. The, the, the former's name is Oju Hyun, the latter is Lee Jung-woo. Um, coming back to the show, uh, Sang Fra ends on November 5th. For more information, please visit www.nn.kr. And let's talk about the title of the show just a little bit more. Sang Fra, right? Uh, if you take a look at how it's written, normally when you, when, when, when you write the term Sang Fra, uh, we put a hyphen in between Song and Fra, right? Right. In this case, there is a colon in between. And I find this rather interesting. Mm. Because if you think about it, Sang Fra in French literally means cold-blooded. Mm. Or following the word order, it's blood cold, mm. right? And it's it's about it's that state of mind where you're trying to you know ease yourself, be calm in kind of a kind of an, an uh, uh, anxious kind of situation, right? Okay. Now the thing is, I, I find a great irony of this expression because <laughs> if you think about it, blood normally, biologically speaking, is warm, right? But you put the word cold in front of it, right? It's a very kind of an artificial, actually not natural at all phenomenon. Whereas if you think about the nature of humankind, why are we put in these situations where we just have to cool down our blood? I think regarding everything I've said so far regard, uh, on uh, the subject matter of this particular artist, what's really interesting is that, again, you see all that clashing and tension between two very different uh, cultures and, 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 and objects of different nature. But somehow, if you just try to have a cool approach to that heated up situation, you will find peace and an array of new uh, possibilities where we can build possibly new worlds and peace, uh, not right. just for you know, not just political peace, but a peace for the inner right. mind as well. And I think that's one very important reason why we need art after all. So a huge kudos to the artist Anjehong. Some interesting things to think about while they, while people check out this uh, exhibition. For our listeners who want to get a better sense of his works and what we've been talking about, we have photos from the exhibition uh, taken by Joe himself on our Instagram page, KBS underscore Korea 24. I've seen pictures uh, from the website as well. It's very mm-hmm. interesting. Absolutely. Quite otherworldly, uh, bizarre, uh, Dali-esque almost mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but yes, it's very interesting. In a very good way, right? Yes, in a very good way, yes, of course. Uh, Joe, it's been great to have you with us as always. We'll wrap it up there. Take care and we'll see you next time. Lovely. I am pianist Shin Chang-yong. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio.
is now time for Morning Edition Preview, our daily closing segment where we take a look at some stories coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, uh, namely the Career Times and the Career Herald. And for that, we have joining us in the studio now our staff editor, Richard Larkin. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. Okay. So what article has caught your eye for tomorrow? Well, the Cultural Heritage Administration has had a busy day on Thursday. You talked earlier about how how it plans to make the Catholic Church in Sokcho City a national cultural heritage. Right. Well, it also revealed details about a shipwreck that was discovered in Henam, South Jolla province in May of this year. That's what Kim Hae-yeon's article in the culture section of the Korea Herald is about. These kinds of discoveries are always interesting to me. So it's amazing how things like boats from hundreds of years ago can just be hiding under the sand on beaches. Yeah, it sounds... Sounds very cool. What do we know about the shipwreck exactly? Well, the administration thinks it's from the Goryeo era, so that's between years 918 and 1392. Research was done on the discovery from June to September, and the amazing thing is that 15 items like pottery and an anchor stone were found on board the shipwreck. Wow. Researchers believe the boat was used to transport rice seeds as they were discovered in the pottery. It sounds like it was just perfectly stuck in the sand. And the really cool thing is, is that in the article tomorrow, you can see a picture of what it looks like. And it, it, there's still the outline of the boat in with wood is still there. It's amazing. Yeah, I saw the picture as well. And it's incredibly well preserved. Yes. It is amazing to think that it's so well preserved, even though it is possibly... Uh, over a thousand years old. Yeah. It reminds me there's a film called The Dig where uh, in England they discover a Viking ship and it's mm. there as well. It's incredibly well preserved. So it's incredible to see those kind of things happen. Yes. Uh, so what will happen now that the research has finished? Well, the next plan is to find out why it sank. And the CHA also will plan some preserving the site as well so that nothing can damage it for the time being. Yes, definitely check out tomorrow's Career Herald, especially for that picture uh, that Richard mentioned. Uh, let's continue on now to the next story. What else has caught your eye for tomorrow? I have chosen quite a unique article, something that I have never covered before. Jun jae article in the People section of the Korea Times explains that Korea's first female urologist recently won a fitness championship award. Right, so there's a lot of information there. Mm. Fitness Championship Award, yes. she won, but she's also a urologist, but she's also the first female urologist in Korea, you say? Yes. Very interesting. So tell us uh, more about who she is and the award she won. Well, her name is Yoon Hana, and she is a urology professor at Iwa Women's University Medical Center. She's 53 years old, I believe, and she is famous for becoming the first female urologist in Korea in 1999. I would have thought that there might have been female urologists before then, but apparently she was the first in the country. Mm. So, yeah, she participated in the Max Q Muscle Mania Fitness Korea Championship on October 7th and finished fourth in the senior division. This isn't the professor's first time. She actually won medals in 2021 at the same championship. But what makes her achievement more meaningful is everything she had to overcome to get there. She had to overcome high blood pressure, diabetes, a slip disc, and she was also having trouble with dieting when she first started her exercise journey. Wow, she has an incredible story, but yes. uh, she managed to exceed expectations and grab awards then. Exactly. Now, Yoon plans on figuring out ways to turn exercise into treatments for urological diseases. And the medical center she works for has actually started offering Pilates and yoga programs to local residents under this initiative. Yes, yeah, so we'll wrap it up there for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, Richard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's all for our show today. Do join us again tomorrow for more news, views and reviews from Korea. Till then, we hope you have a great day. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye.
Yeah, yeah. Huh. You ready? Let's go. 즐거움이 활짝 새. 